0: Our Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat writer for the Bay Area News Group and host of Locked On Warriors here with Dave Vermill the host of Locked On Heat. It's your daily NBA podcast. We'll hit last night's game, including a close one between the Lakers and Blazers and the biggest stories in the NBA. But we start today With Memphis at Brooklyn, but not because of the game necessarily, David, but because of a pair of injuries affecting both teams now. The Grizzlies won an overtime against a Nets team without Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving, uh, who were both out for rest reasons after having played on Sunday. But they were also without uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, who suffered a partial tear in his right ACL. He's going to be out for an extended period of time this season. It, It depends on basically what his rehab is. Look, Memphis won the game in overtime, one sixteen to one eleven. Kyle Anderson at twenty-eight points, seven rebounds, had a nice night for them. Uh, they lose Ja Morant, who I want to talk to about who I want to talk about in a little, little bit. But um, Dinwiddie. What do the Nets do now without Spencer Dinwiddie? Because he was so important, I thought to what they did, specifically in just being the glue guy in that starting lineup, right? He was another ball handler, another shot maker, good locker room presence. It allowed Karis Lavert to come off the bench and kind of be the super six-man, Manu Ginobili style for Brooklyn. Uh, I don't know what they do uh, going forward.
1: Well, they went with Torrey and Prince in the starting lineup, and I, I think that's probably... I'm not sure if he's going to continue playing games. I, I got to be honest with you. Timothy Luau Cabro, he actually had a pretty solid game. 7-17 overall from the field, finished with 21 points, injected some energy, played some good defense. He was unfortunately responsible for the Morant injury. His was his foot that was underneath Morant's when he landed awkwardly and rolled his ankle. So, I feel like he could be an option as well. I, I mean, look, Steve Nash has some lineup options. He's got some players there he can incorporate. You could always start Karis Levert for a little bit, although I think they probably prefer him coming off the bench. Uh, they signed uh, Chris Kioso too, so maybe he can provide some minutes. He played 27 minutes for them tonight. To me, they've got enough options. Look, I understand Dinwiddie's importance, But I think you're going to go as far as the top talents on this team are. You know, obviously, with Kyrie and Kevin Durant, you you can go pretty deep into the playoffs. I think you can tread water through the regular season. I understand that there's going to be injury concerns. It's going to be prevalent throughout the rest of the NBA as well. I think they're going to have to find ways to adjust it. And I like Nash's ability to kind of incorporate some of those other players into the starting lineup. It seemed like it was a little bit of a
0: mission for Steve Nash to convince Karis LeVert to take this bench roll. It's going to be that much harder with with Dinwiddie out to convince Lavert to stay in that bench roll. Possibly he did start tonight, but again, that yeah. was a night where Durant and Kyrie Irving weren't playing. So uh, it's hard to really tell what he wanted to do. Maybe you do go with Lualo Cabrera. Maybe but, but, you know, I don't know how much playmaking he's really going to provide there. He went three of ten from three-point range, so he's not providing the spacing as much, even though he's a nice athlete. And, he, and you know, he got to where he wanted to go in 40 minutes tonight. But uh, Torian Prince, he's more of a con- – like, that to me is the contract that maybe you trade in some sort of deal. You, you combine Prince with, uh, with, with a future first-rounder or whatever draft pick would be necessary. If I were Brooklyn, I would be looking at George Hill from Oklahoma City. Hmm. Just – I don't – you know – he's a nice veteran presence, could space the floor, handle the ball a little bit, obviously a good defender. Uh, maybe you, you can make a move like that because other than that, like Landry Shammett just, I, 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 don't I don't have it. He's, he's not the guy you're looking for as far as having another ball handler in that in that starting lineup. Uh, right. Chris Chioza is, but he's so undersized that you're giving up some things defensively that Spencer Dinwiddie, who at six foot five, wasn't giving up. Uh, I look at a guy like maybe Bruce Brown or, or, or Tyler Johnson, even our old friend Tyler Johnson, David, at 6'4. He tries hard on defense, can bring you some ball handling, but he didn't even play. He was a DNP coach of CD uh, tonight against Memphis. So I don't know what they do, um, but it, it. I think I'm, it's. I'm out as
1: Lavert on Lavert as a starter, to be honest with you. Like, I know he started today, played almost 40 minutes, and had a pretty solid game offensively, but to me, he just seems like he's just putting up shots kind of haphazardly. And I know that there's not much. Aside from his scoring ability, look, he's, he's pretty decent as a passer. He did have 11 assists. But overall, I think if your concerns are defensive ones, I'm not sure LaVert's going to answer those anyway. I, I, look, there might not be a perfect option on this roster as cons- currently constructed. Maybe you're right. A trade might be in the works, especially if you're looking at real title contention. But honestly, I think you keep LaVert coming off the bench and, and kind of just have to sell him on the idea. I mean, that's my, this might be Nash's first real challenge as a head coach.
0: Yeah, and just I, I guess you try a couple of different options in that Dinwiddie spot. If you if if if, uh, if you keep bringing Levert off the bench, and maybe you, at, at some point you do make a trade. I just I do think that this affects their title chances. I had before the season. I was thinking the Nets coming out of the East and playing the Lakers in in, in the NBA Finals. I, I don't want to go so far as to say that Dinwiddie being out for most of the season hurts those chances. By the way, we don't know how long he's going to be out. If he comes back for the playoffs, I have a lot fewer. Concerns, right? But if he misses the entire playoffs, uh, depending on this rehab, then I when when the margins are so close between teams like the Nets and Milwaukee and and Miami and maybe Philadelphia, I Boston, I, I that could be a deciding factor. Let's go to the other injury though that happened during the game. John Morant sprains his ankle going up to block a uh, Luala Cabrera shot in the second quarter. He's wheeled off in a wheelchair. And that, if you're a Grizzlies fan, man, that's got to be so scary. The x-rays, fortunately, tonight came back with showing there there was no fracture. That's according to ESPN. The MRI uh, could come as soon as Tuesday, David. But either way, I, I don't know how bad that this ankle sprain, I guess, is what we're calling it, since it's not a fracture. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But Um, if he's out for an extended period in a 72 game season, that could be all it takes for a team like Memphis to miss out on the playoffs.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, they have to be looking at that. but I think from a Grizzlies fans perspective, you're probably looking at bigger picture. Like, yes, you want to make the playoffs. You missed out on that opportunity. Last season, you built up a lot of momentum. You add some nice players this off season through the draft and you're thinking maybe you can continue to build with Moran as your centerpiece. But moving forward, like honestly, if you have to lose out on this season uh, just to get him back 100%, I think that's the ultimate goal. So I don't, I would like to see the Grizzlies' front office make some kind of adjustment and understand that maybe it's more important to get Morant Mar- back. And again, we're assuming all of this on the night when the actual injury happened. We have no idea how long he'll be out. Maybe it won't be, matter. Maybe the rest of the team rallies around him during their absence. But ultimately, I think you want to be able to make sure that he's healthy, keep him in the – and just build towards next year if that's what it takes. You give up a year just because you've got your superstar, you've got your franchise player already there. You don't want to sacrifice his long-term, hearth or his long-term health for just – making the playoffs and being an early round exit. Like the reality is that this Grizzlies team is not a title contender by any stretch of the imagination. While they might be good enough to make the playoffs, you don't want to risk your your franchise player in order to just make the playoffs. And it's not, it's not that great a goal. Let me, let me be honest with you. So I, I think that's the, the perspective And we'll see what the rest of the Grizzlies team could do. Look, I mean, they've got some other options here. Maybe somebody else steps up temporarily. I I mean, I think it's going to be a much more prolonged absence that a lot of people are hoping for, unfortunately. I I think the reality is that it's a pretty severe strain. And and at least judging from his reaction, again, not being a doctor myself, it it looked like he was in quite a bit of pain. And while the x-rays were negative, we'll see how long it takes him to fully recover. But that's, you know, again, you want to keep him there. Make sure he gets healthy. During, do the compressed nature of the season you don't want to rush him back and while you're right that he's probably going to miss a lot of time because of the compressed nature of this uh, season I, I don't think it's worth the risk for, for further you know adding to an injury issue here yeah. that could you know build up for the rest of his career
0: no you're, you're right and I think Memphis will take the safe route here it just it makes the most sense to the points that you were talking about um as for some other scores from around the league Uh, Utah gets a close win over the Oklahoma City Thunder, 110 to 109. Donovan Mitchell's runner with seven seconds left gives them the lead. The Thunder went to Shea Gilgis-Alexander for their potential game winner after Donovan Mitchell made that runner. His layup is a little too strong. Uh, It doesn't go in, but he ended up uh, having uh, 23 points and seven assists on the night. Donovan Mitchell scores 20. Mike Conley for the Jazz has 20. Bojan Bogdanovic gets 23. Uh, Lou Dort. Look yes. at Lou Dort. 26 yes. points on five of seven from three-point range. What do you make of it? I, look, I know that the Jazz won it, and our boss would love to talk about the Jazz. Go over to Lockdown Jazz if you want to hear David Locke talk about them. Uh, to me, the story was still the thunder here. Uh, coming this close, one point to a Utah Jazz team that I think is going to be really good and be one of the top five or six teams in the West.
1: Yeah, like I, on the flip side of that I was thinking to the do we have something to worry about when it comes to the Jazz? Maybe they're not as good as we thought they might be. But I, it's possible the Thunder are actually much better than we thought they might be. Like uh, the the goal of the season seemed like to tank as much as possible, give away as many players take on these bad contracts like Hill and, uh, and Al Horford, etc. But it they're kind of pretty good. Like I, I mean, I know they've only played two games so far, but they won their first game. They, they didn't have their season opener against the Rockets because of the the whole COVID issue. And 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 I think with Dort, I mean, he seems like a pretty pretty solid rotational player. I know he's gonna be somewhat inconsistent even at this point in his career, but I mean Shea Gilgis Alexander looks like a legitimate first-time all-star in the making. He's got real chops. He's got the talent. He's aggressive. There was a point there where he was kind of going back and forth with Mitchell. i love to see it, and I think he's got some real potential there. The shooting's still a little wonky, one of seven of the night. But overall, I like his his approach to the game. Uh, you know that he's young. He's talented. Uh, Chris Paul certainly you know thought very highly of his talent level. I think the Thunder are actually going to be pretty good this year.
0: They love Shea Gilgis-Alexander for good reason. Uh, maybe he does make an all-star push. I don't know how many games the Thunder have to win, doesn't really matter, yes. I guess, how many games they have to win because they have eighty percent of the draft picks over the next three or four years. But <laughs> um, you know, this is this is their group, and and it seems like they're building around him. Other players like George Hill, I mentioned before, could be a trade candidate. Al Horford is playing pretty well for them. They can keep moving those guys for other first-round picks, uh, and they will continue to build around Shea. and And it makes sense with the way that he's played, not only early this season, but the way. He, he showed out last season, too. Uh, the other game we want to get to, Detroit at Atlanta. Uh, no Blake Griffin, no Derrick Rose for the Pistons. Atlanta gets 29 points from Trey Young. They get 17 points from Bogdan Bogdanovich uh, and win 128 to 120 in a home opener in front of less than 100 people in the stands. It was limited to friends and family of the team, uh, but Atlanta, one of the few teams that are allowing people in the arenas for these games. We'll spend some time on Denver's win over Houston and the Lakers and the Blazers game. But first, Dave, tell the listeners about betonline.ag.
1: Look, there's only one place that has all of you covered, and one place that we trust as a network that's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. Look, NFL games are nearing the playoffs. You've got college football still going on. And of course, the NBA, if you want to bet on that, no one makes it easier for you than betonline.he. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. And don't forget to use that promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts.
0: Betting on the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert, Lee Sterling, get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wagers subscribe to Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about this Portland win over the Lakers. The Blazers beat the Lakers 115 to 107. Thanks in large part to their bench, outscoring that of the Lakers forty-five to twenty-three, thanks to Gary Trent Jr., who went off and Fuego for him twenty-eight points, ten of fourteen shooting, seven made three-pointers out of the eleven that he took, absolutely on fire. I thought Portland actually got away with something at the end, taking him out midway through. Uh, the fourth quarter to get back as Terry Stotts wanted to do to his normal rotation. Derek Jones Jr. comes back in, Robert, uh, Damien Lillard, Robert Covington, every like that starting lineup is back in for the most part. And the Lakers then straight away go on an 8-0 run, take the lead from Portland, but Portland is able to battle back uh, due to a big mistake that I thought the Lakers made. I want to get to that in a minute, but let's first have a little bit of romance when it comes to Gary Trent Jr.'s big night and the rest of these Portland Trailblazers who uh, didn't look great going into this game, but it seems like they've got some energy and bounce back against the Lakers.
1: Yeah, what to make of Gary Trent? I I mean, obviously, he's a really good shooter. I mean, he provides some great energy. It seemed like I know the point the broadcast team was making was that he was trying to make a point to Terry Stotts to earn some more playing time, but I just – I can't see how he's going to fit into that starting lineup, right? Unless you bench McCollum, that's not going to happen. Uh, And Derrick Jones Jr. fits better there as far as a defensive player on the wing. I mean, they've already got Robert Covington on there. I mean, I just don't know. I
0: thought thought Covington had a clunker of a night, two of nine overall, missed all six of his three-point attempts. And when you're starting line between Covington and Derrick Jones Jr., they they went 0 for 11 from three-point range. There's just not enough shooting to me in that starting lineup. I don't know if Gary Trent Jr. is going to be your full-time starter there, but he competes defensively, even though he's giving up some size there. Uh, he's a hard He gets up into dude's chest. He's a hard-nosed defender in that way. And the dude makes shots. Um, Stotts has really uh, decided to stagger Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum for most of this uh, these first few games. And I think that's the right move, and Gary Trent is the beneficiary of that, playing alongside one of those two a lot of these minutes. But – uh, when he's playing like that, I, I see no reason to keep uh, – look, Covington was okay defensively. Derek Jones Jr. was okay defensively. But the way that Gary Trent Jr. was playing offensively, he was, ma- he was more than making up. I mean, he led the, the Blazers in plus-minus tonight at a plus-15 when Robert Covington was a minus-five. Derek Jones Jr. was neutral. Uh, I, I, I didn't I, – I thought Portland really got away with uh, – and Terry Stotts in particular got away with a, a, a bad coaching move.
1: I would have just let, left the hot hand in there. I mean, Ennis Cantor, who we know can't play defense, he was a, a team high plus 13. I'm sorry, Trent, Trent Jr. was a team high plus 15. But still, I mean, he was part of that second unit that really provided a huge boost when starters really couldn't get anything going, particularly Covington and Jones Jr. So I, I just feel like with Stots, and look, I like Portland. I like what the moves they've made. I, I get the feeling that they'll figure it out eventually. I trust Stotts as a coach. But I also question whether or not they've leaned too heavily into defense and and sacrificed mm-hmm. some offense, and as a result, so and I guess that's the result after they struggled so much defensively for most of last season, but I you have to figure out some kind of a balance or else you're just going to wind up getting exposed in the postseason. That's the ultimate goal. I mean, the Blazers right. are still my pick to advance past the Western conference final. They're going to represent the, the, the West in the finals. That's my Ooh, pick. Okay. Yeah. A hot take there, but uh, I, I like this balance. I love the roster. Uh, I just, I'm not sure exactly where Trent fits in moving forward though. Yeah,
0: it, it feels to me like they may have to choose between Robert Covington or Derek Jones Jr. in that starting lineup. And my sense is that they would have to go with Covington yes. and bring Jones off, off the bench there, and maybe that's what they end up doing. Then you're going to uh, need but, more
1: from Rodney Hood, though, because offensively yeah. he's just not providing it either. So then if you're going to sacrifice that defense from, from, from Jones and insert the, the offense that Trent provides, then what are you getting off? the bench and that might be where they get it. I mean look they're they're probably one big move away like if they can acquire a six-man type I'm not sure who that would be but if they can get a burst of energy off the bench uh, similarly to what Trent is currently providing I, I like their chances even better and you know
0: I don't mean to harp on the Gary Trent Jr. move because ultimately Portland end up winning the game to yeah. me the biggest the, the most egregious coaching mistake of the night was Frank Vogel deciding to go with Montrezl Harrell and at the end of that game oh, yeah. Montrezl Harrell didn't play well at all. It wasn't just in the fourth quarter. He just wasn't in 27 minutes. He was a minus 20. The the Lakers got outscored by 20 points in those 27 minutes, nine points, three of five shootings, six rebounds and assists, no blocks, no steals, no nothing. And I didn't really, he didn't make an impact in that game to me whatsoever. Marcus Gasol was a team best plus 14 in 19 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wasn't in foul trouble. There was really no reason not to go to him. They in the last minute or so, Frank Vogel finally, Yanked the cord on Montrose Harrell, put in Kyle Kuzma, tried to go small, a little bit more switchy, a little bit faster when they needed to get some points. But by then it was too late. Kuzma, yeah. by the way, didn't have a great game either. Uh, I, I thought that that, I thought the Lakers really blew a chance there. They, they had that game. They had taken the lead when, when Gary Trent Jr. Went out, went on 8-0 run. LeBron was playing well. Anthony Davis was making things happen in the fourth quarter after he had an average game. Anthony Davis, 13.6 of 14 shooting, 10 rebounds, five assists, got a lot of those assists in the fourth quarter, LeBron James with 29 points, nine rebounds, and six assists, but I, I thought I thought Frank Vogel kind of lost that game for them by putting Montrose Harrell in there because. He couldn't guard anything that was in front of him, and they attacked him over and over and over again in those last few minutes.
1: I feel like Clippers fans have poured out like a celebratory drink and lit a cigarette and kind of just sat back watching that fourth <laughs> quarter and going, yep, that's right. That was the the Montrez Harrell experience in a nutshell. And then you're right. I, I, a lot of what I saw on the response from NBA and Clippers Twitter was, you can't play him 16 minutes straight. He's just gonna get gassed. And his biggest asset is the energy he provides. You can't provide that if you're tired. You can't provide that for a long stretch after playing for so long. So, I, I mean, Bogle probably does not know this early on this season what he can and can't do with his personnel. He's still trying to figure it out. Uh, I mean, maybe the question overall, though, is. Did we overstate how important some of these additions were to the Lakers team? Like, obviously, they're still pretty good. I think when you have Davis and James on that team, you're you're, you're obviously going to contend for a title. But aside from Schroeder, who's looked pretty good at, at, with the Lakers, I wonder whether or not some of those other additions might not be – as impactful as we originally planned. Like Gasol obviously is towards the tail end of his career. Harold, maybe he'll figure it out. Maybe you won't. Uh, Wes Matthews does not look great. And so I, I don't know. I mean, maybe we... I, uh, I, I don't know if we overvalue. it. Look, I think it's just
0: a matter of them figuring out how to use those pieces better. Marcus Saul should have been in the game at the end and he would have been a great addition. He would have looked like the great addition that he was had he been in the game. Andres Harrell, you dial back his minutes and, and you're able to kind of, you know, there's diminishing returns, to your point, when you play Montrose Harrell longer minutes. And Dennis Schroeder has been awesome for them this yeah. season. So, and he was the reason they were in that game early. Uh, he got going um, uh, and and does a lot for them as far as creating some stuff. Uh, when LeBron has to rest, Dennis Schroeder gets in there and, and makes the offense happen. So uh, I think there just needs to be, be some uh, tweaks in the rotation for them to maximize some of these new pieces that they got. Um, Houston is 0-2 now. They lost to Denver 124-111 to 111 Monday night. We'll talk about that next, and if we're concerned about the Rockets uh, coming up. But first, David, let's talk
1: about Bilt Bar. Look, the holidays are tough for everybody. Uh, sometimes you just overindulge. Uh, that's part of what makes the holidays so much fun to some extent. But, you know, if you want to enjoy a great-tasting snack, and Built Bar is a protein bar for you. They're better than ever. 18 amazing flavors. You can build a box with some of our classic flavors, 12 original ones and 60 ones that you should have tried by now. The bars are all 100% covered in chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. You won't even know you're eating a protein bar, but you will because they're healthy. They're great for people that are health conscious or if you're looking to indulge in a delicious treat, that's good for you. They've got their low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, great for all types of diets. And best of all, if you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code Locked on, you'll get twenty percent off your next order. So use the promo code Locked On for twenty percent off at BuiltBar.com.
0: We'll look ahead to the Bucks and the Heat showdown tonight, nationally televised TNT game. But first, David, the Denver Nuggets got their first one of the season in a one hundred twenty-four to one eleven win over the Houston Rockets. The Rockets are now zero and two. And they're 0-2 without some of their key contributors, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Gordon, uh, Ben McLemore, uh, several other players, all out because of uh, of the COVID-19 protocols. The Rockets had just nine players available to them tonight. One of those players, James Harden, 34 points, 10 of 16 shooting overall, uh, eight assists, six rebounds, really had it going. Christian Wood has looked like an awesome addition early on, 23 points, but it took nine of 20 shots. Um, and only had three rebounds, but uh, was definitely that other offensive weapon that they've needed, especially with John Wall out. So considering what what they have available to them and some of the dysfunction that's been going on, they still lost by 13 points to Denver, who had yet to win a game going into that game. But are you concerned about the Rockets being owned 2?
1: No. No, I'm not. I wanted to make a joke about whether or not they should blow it up. And I, well, we've all heard the <laughs> hardened rumors right now. It makes a lot of sense for them to start uh, finalizing a deal if they're actually going to get it done. But the reality is that without those key players here, we have yet to see what this team is capable of. We have yet to see the full potential of this group. So while recency bias makes us you know, prone to kind of pull the trigger as quickly as possible, once they incorporate those talents, and we assume that wall is going to be close to his all-star form, Eric Gordon, obviously a pretty key contributor for the Rockets in the past and cousins look good in the preseason. As long as he's back on the floor and able to chip in to kind of play alongside wood, I like their chances. So With that infusion of talent, Houston's probably going to figure it out. They're going to find a way to win games. Uh, I I think it's too quick to to ring the death knell already for this team. You know, it's just easy to kind of feel that way given all the issues, all the -the off-the-court stuff and, and whether or not Harden gets traded, whether or not his teammates hate him, whether or not he wants to be there at all, whether or not he's fat and out of shape, all these things happening off the court. It's easy to kind of just buy those narratives and say, you know, maybe Houston's time is done but they still look pretty good and you still got a top five player there. And I think you can still be able to push for a deep playoff run if you can figure it out. Now that's a lot of pressure for a first year coach and Steven Silas, you know, some of the other players have, have absolutely said that they, they love playing for him, that they, he's, he's got it. He understands the game. He knows how to get the most out of them, but it's still early in the season too early to see exactly what yeah. kind of a coach Silas is, but too early also to, to you know, put the, to bury the rockets already.
0: I mean, they shot 41 percent from three-point range, classic Houston sure. Rockets style. But the offense is less isolation-heavy. There's a lot more ball movement, a lot more side-to-side side stuff. Through a few, game, a couple of games here in the preseason, we're starting to notice what Silas has been putting in here, and they're without some of their best players. And in in doing so, they are forced to play David Nwaba's starting minutes at 32 uh, minutes, uh, which would probably be Macklemore house spot. playing uh, 30 Daniel, minutes.
1: Yeah. Uh, Three points got, are unbelievable.
0: You got a rookie, just Tate uh, playing 25 minutes. You've got Bruno Coboclo playing 20 minutes. If you start back, you know, Sterling Brown, nice player, but 31 minutes is a little much. Um, if you back out some of those minutes and, and redistribute them to guys like Eric Gordon and Mclemore and, and John Wall and DeMarcus cousins, then all of a sudden, I think you start to make up for, for some things there. As far as Denver, is concerned Nikola Jokic, uh, his second triple double in three games, is looking like the MVP candidate that we all expected him him to look like this season. His 18 assists, by the way, that's a career high. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have get I thought he had already hit that by this point. Uh, that was a little surprising to me, which just is, is a testament to how much we think of Nikola Jokic already. Right. Um, ironically enough, the Nuggets could have been a possible landing spot for James Harden. There's been reports that they have been interested in Jam- in a James Harden trade. But um, if Jokic was playing like this, Jamal Murray, 21 points on 7-14 shooting, 4-6 from three-point range, um, and a pair of assists, um, they never made that much sense to me as a Harden destination. Look, it's mm-hmm. early in the season, I think happen. happened, but um, I thought it was a, a pretty good night overall from the Nuggets.
1: What's the nightclub scene like in Denver? I don't know. <laughs>
0: Not up to Harden standards, I don't think. Um, Giannis and the bucks get a chance to play the heat tonight on TNT, a rematch of last year's Eastern conference semifinals. When the heat eliminated the bucks, they sent Giannis home from the bubble. David, what are you expecting from the bucks in the first of a pair of back-to-back games against Miami?
1: You know, it, it's going to be a strange set for Miami because they're going to be without Jimmy Butler. Uh, he uh, he hurt his, his ankle in the last game. He, he set out the second half of that second game that they won against the New Orleans Pelicans on Christmas. They've been off since then, so I don't expect them back for either game. So you're going to have to find a way for somebody to step up and contribute. Nobody's going to be able to provide the balanced game that he is. So you're either going with Kendrick Nunn as a potential starter or Avery Bradley. He could potentially go with Goran Dragic as a starter, although he's been you know, thriving coming off the bench for Milwaukee. I don't know if they're necessarily looking for to exact revenge. I, I don't know that that's still carried over from the, even though it's been a short offseason for them. I, I wonder whether or not they're going to try to, you know, show up Miami to some degree. I think there's also a battle in the front court waiting to see. Obviously, Brooke Lopez, a very good player with Miami, they tend to go a little short in the small uh, as far as their center position is concerned. They could go with Bam and then he's going to be guarding Giannis at the So we don't know what Spolstra's rotations are going to be like. It's going to be very interesting to see what he trots out there. And I'm more curious to see how the first of this is the first of its kind, right? This in the league right now, as far as the, the home and home set for, for against the, mm-hmm. the, this kind of playoff type series. I don't think any other team has played him yet. So I'm curious to see whether or not he makes changes in between games one and two, like whether or not he starts a different lineup for on Wednesday or not. You know, given Spolstra, that's probably not what he's going to do, but he's also been very clear. Uh, he, he sat out Bradley in the first game of the season, and then I asked him about it and after the second game when Bradley played like 30 minutes. He said, look, you know, it's a long season, and even though Bradley's conditioning level is pretty good, we want to make sure we get guys healthy and, and keep them for the long haul because it's going to be a very weird season. Miami's relying on their depth to push them through you know, this weird season, so I wonder whether or not he's going to make changes to that lineup. Mm-hmm. It's going to be an interesting To me, game. the more interesting
0: coach is if Mike Budenholzer
1: makes changes from game to game. <laughs>
0: if but Miami wins game one, can Mike Budenholzer get fired after game
1: two of this mini-series, the fourth game of the season? The are you car? worried about the Bucks? I know they don't look I'm quite kidding, as sharp. I'm kidding, by the No, I know.
0: I know you know, but I think people are going to come after me for that. But, um, they got blown out I, by
1: the Knicks, right? I mean, Their depth uh, is
0: just bad. And I know uh, people will try to write it off as rearranging deck chairs and et cetera and be trying to get more playmaking, whatever. You downgraded player to player to player to player. Uh, their depth is worse than it was last year. And I don't know that Drew Holiday's addition is enough to make up for that. Now, had it been Drew Holiday and Bogdan Bogdanovich, maybe yeah. you are able to make up for that lack of depth. But the, uh, the depth is just not what it was. That said, Miami's depth is still strong and it's much stronger than Milwaukee's. What does it look like when they don't have Jay Crowder draining threes from the corner like they did against Milwaukee? Um, Jay Crowder is a, is a heftier, bigger uh, guy to help form that wall more yeah. so than Mo Harkless. And, uh, I, and so it'll be an interesting test case for Miami to say, okay, this is what we did to flummox Giannis in the semifinals last year. I don't believe that Giannis has had an opportunity to add anything new to his game as far as a three point shot or a mid range shot. He could take them all he wants. They don't look good and I'm not a believer in it. And, uh, but Miami lost some personnel that were a key part of that game plan. Derek Jones Jr. Also. Yeah. I don't think it, they
1: can build the wall against Giannis the way they did in the playoffs. No.
0: And so, what do they do? Right. And maybe, maybe they don't do anything. Maybe they say, you know what? It's the first week of the season, whatever. Uh, let's not bother with this craziness. Let's we'll just go out there, play these two games, and move on with our lives. Um, but you got to have a sense that Miami, the way that they compete and everything like that. And if Jimmy Butler and all, as far as we know, Jimmy Butler will play in that game, right?
1: Uh, no, he's listed as doubtful for Tuesday's oh. game. So, I'm expecting them to sit out both games. Oh, well, in that case, what are we even talking about?
0: Um, All right. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on NBA wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, say nice things about the show. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned to Locked on NBA tomorrow morning.
1: Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar.